Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Riding with Biden podcast presented by the Biden War Room. My name is Brian Weinberger. I'm Justin Gillespie. And I'm Nader Hussein. And we have a busy episode for you today. We'll be taking some listener questions. We'll be giving a brief update on the United States Postal Service. And of course, we'll be doing one minute rants on anything we want in a segment called Liberal Tears. But of course, the big news of the week and what we'll be starting with, Joe Biden has picked uh, California Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. So Senator Harris, um, soon to be Vice President Harris, is the daughter of a Jamaican father and an Indian mother. She was born in 1964 in Oakland, California. Uh, She attended protests as a child brought by her parents in a stroller. And she was bused to primary school in a richer area of California as part of California's effort to desegregate schools. She attended the historically black Howard University in Washington, D.C. for her undergraduate studies, graduated with a double major in political science and economics. And she returned to California for law school, receiving a JD from the University of California Hastings College of the Law in 1989. Uh, She served as assistant district attorney and ran for district attorney of San Francisco in 2003. Her platform included racial and economic justice. She contended that the incumbent DA failed to protect poor and minority residents from gun violence and was too willing to accept plea bargains in domestic violence cases. She, of course, won that race and made a point to challenge negative stereotypes of black women, both during her campaign and in office. As DA, Kamala created an initiative to give first offense drug offenders the opportunity to earn a high school diploma and find a job, and she created a unit within the DA's office to combat environmental crimes, prosecuting corporations for violations including dumping toxic waste in poor neighborhoods. She was elected as just the second black woman ever in the United States Senate, winning the seat vacated by Barbara Boxer's retirement. One of her first acts as a senator was to oppose Donald Trump's Muslim ban. She became well-known for holding Trump appointees accountable, as well as officials and corporations. Uh, Biden selected Kamala Harris on August 11th as his running mate, and she would be a historical vice president for several reasons. Now, I wanted to jump in and start by saying that I am absolutely excited to have Kamala Harris on the ticket. I mean, this is a really historic pick, and I have to say she was my first choice for uh, the vice president's slot. Now, one thing I want to talk about, because I know a lot of people from both sides are going to talk about identity politics and that, oh, she was only picked for identity politics. And I have a couple of issues with that. I mean, first off, it completely diminishes her qualifications and her capability. Like to say that she was only chosen because she's a black and Indian American woman is quite frankly bullshit. She's as capable to serve as vice president as just about anyone else. And she was picked by someone who was one of the most qualified and involved vice presidents ever in Joe Biden. And secondly, let's be real. All politics is identity politics. Like when Donald Trump picked Mike Pence, people weren't tripping over themselves to call it identity politics, even though that's exactly what it was. Trump chose Mike Pence because he wanted more credibility with evangelicals. The difference is Mike Pence was really a failed politician before Trump picked him, whereas Kamala Harris is a strong woman of color who represents multiple groups that have been ignored in politics for far too long. 
And thirdly, I want to say it's stupid to act like representation doesn't matter. It absolutely does matter. It unleashes the full potential of our democracy. It lets every American know that they have a role to play in shaping the greatest country on earth. When everyone has a seat at the table, like to address the issues that affect people like them and their communities, we can create a government and economy and a society that works for everyone. I mean, that's why like this Congress, the 116th, which uh, just took office last year in 2019, is the most diverse in our nation's history. Folks from my generation who came of age watching us elect the first black president saw that it was possible and they started running for office in record numbers. Now, when young black and brown girls see Kamala Harris, they'll know that it's within their capability to affect change in this country. And this is personal for me. I was raised by brown women. My family comes from Egypt. Uh, my mom, my big sister, my grandmas, my aunts, and my cousins made me who I am today. And I know that bringing voices like theirs into positions of power and authority is going to make this country infinitely better. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that you said, Natter. Um, I think that it can't be underscored just how important this pick was, um, both from the perspective of creating an inclusive and diverse ticket, but also Kamala brings a really interesting subset of the electorate kind of into play. And she does that because she's a motivating figure. Um, for those who know, she was elected the same night that Donald Trump won the presidency. And uh, there's a really good video that we'll dig up and play that um, is just her talking to her staff in a back room at their election viewing party. And what she talks about is tonight's a night for us to celebrate because we won. But it's also a night to realize that we're about to enter a fight that is so much more than just politics. That we're entering into a fight that is literally people's lives, people's livelihoods on the line. And so from that first moment, I think she was built for this. From the night she won office, which was the same night Donald Trump won office. This is her moment. And, and she was the unsurprising pick and she was the person that everybody kind of expected Joe Biden would choose. And we'll get more into that a little later. But ultimately, this is the right pick. And we're starting to see that in the quick response polls. People are motivated to get behind a Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ticket. And the reason for that is simple. She is a firebrand. And God, it's so cool to see somebody on the ticket who doesn't look like me, who motivates people the way that she does. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if there's one thing that Kamala brings, it's a lot of excitement. I mean, just thinking back to all the times she grilled different appointees and uh, nominees and Trump officials, she like she really lit a fire under their asses. And uh, going back to what you said about how she reacted right after winning, I think that's exactly what we need. Like we talked, she said, okay, this is a time to celebrate, but it's also a time to get to work. And I think that just shows kind of uh, that her priorities are straight. Like we can celebrate for a bit, but we were ultimately elected to serve the people. We were ultimately elected to help our constituents and all Americans. So we're going to have to get on that immediately. And I think that's something that you see 
in her slogan when she was running was for the people. That is her priority. That is her commitment. And even uh, in the few addresses we've seen with Vice President Biden, you know, they're not talking about we're going to win and this is going to be great for us. They talk about how they're going to help Americans, which at the end of the day is what people are voting for. Yeah. And just while we're on this topic, um, I have seen a lot of people on the right talk about who identity politics is so bad. Kamala was only chosen because she's black or Asian or a woman. And uh, Laura Ingram said it, I won't say best because it's a stupid point, but Laura Ingram said it probably first. Uh, and we do have a clip. We do have a clip of that here. Marinate in all that for a moment, okay? Essentially racist, at least in pro, you know, promoting all these past senators like Robert Byrd, friendships over, and uh, implicitly, at the very least, implicit, she was saying he was guilty of sexual assault. But now all of a sudden she's willing to work with him, a segregationist and a, a sex criminal. Well, it's a good question. Maybe somebody in the lamestream media will have the courage to ask about this. But given all these issues, I've no doubt that the Biden campaign looked far and wide for a better option than Harris. But I guess there wasn't. It wasn't anyone. Susan Rice had way too much baggage and no election experience. Former Obama adviser David Axelrod said tonight Biden actually clicked best with Governor Whitmer. But she's not a woman of color and runs Michigan like a tin pot dictatorship. And the other candidates were political small fries without any type of experience or name recognition that you'd want in a VP. Of course, Biden's big mistake, of course, was narrowing his options by limiting his choice on the basis of skin color. And on planet Earth, that used to be called bias or even racism. Uh, using color as a metric? Well, that's what he decided to do. Okay. so. There's a lot to unpack there, obviously, but I think one of the most damaging and harmful things that you're going to hear from the right over the next 90-ish days is Kamala was just chosen for her skin color. The way they make it sound is she walked into Biden's office and handed him a resume and it said, I'm black and I'm Indian. And he was like, great, you're hired. That's not at all what happened. Kamala was chosen first and foremost because she is a brilliant, intelligent, charismatic woman who has been an amazing senator and a fantastic DA before that. The way that the right makes it sound is she has absolutely no qualifications besides being black. And it's just important to know for whenever you hear that argument, whether in good faith or bad, from anyone on Twitter on TV or in your families, she was not chosen just because she was black. She's chosen first and foremost because she is qualified. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it. They're basically saying she's unexperienced. She's inexperienced and she's not qualified. When they elected Donald Trump as president, Donald Trump was way unqualified. Kamala Harris has worked at every level. She worked as a district attorney, as an attorney general, as a senator. She's got a lot of experience. And she, he didn't limit his choices to only minority women and women of color. Elizabeth Warren was in the running. He even, she even mentioned, Laura Ingram even mentioned Gretchen Whitmer. So how can you say that 
he was he limited his options by only choosing women of color. When you listed non women of color, non people of color, as candidates, and it again, I think it goes back to uh, I'm sure many of you saw it. If not, uh, Donald Trump on his official Twitter account retweeted a video that really tried to sow division. It showed a number of uh, significant Latin American people in like such as uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Bob Menendez, and said, oh, Latinos have done so much, but Joe Biden is going to pick a black woman. I mean, th- let's be clear about what this is. Laura Ingram is not making a good faith argument here. She's trying to sow division. She's trying to cause chaos and ultimately trying to get Donald Trump reelected. As Laura always said, it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to read the news. I mean, is she not the one who told um, LeBron James to shut up and dribble? Are we going to act like anything she says about race should ever matter at all whenever she's the most blatantly racist human being on television today? Um, she's got the it, competition for that with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> you're right. And, 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 I think, and I think that it's worth talking about. But I also think that with people like Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, consider the source. Yeah. Most people, I think, are aware um, that it's time for this to happen, that it's time to have a woman of color on the ticket. And while Laura Ingram is vile and she's probably one of the worst people in America today, we shouldn't give her too much of a platform. Um, combating her, the, sorry, the best way to combat her is to let her just kind of scream off into the void as her advertisers pull out and as Fox News loses all sense of legitimacy that it has. Because she's going to go away if we do our jobs and we win. Yeah. Because we can change the narrative. Yeah, I definitely think uh, we shouldn't give too much credence to what folks like her and Tucker Carlson have to say. I mean, how many ads can my pillow run before they uh, eventually get the boot? Like so many before them have like Bill O'Reilly. I too dream of going from crack addict to CEO. I mean, that, that's not something to scoff about, but I mean, how many Fox News hosts have out of the blue had to go on spontaneous, but simultaneously planned well in advance vacations right after saying controversial things and losing sponsors. <laughs> Just going trout fishing, guys. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys mentioned that Laura Ingram was the most racist person on television, but I do think she has at least some competition for that title. And on that topic, here is a clip of Tucker Carlson being pretty blatantly racist. Tucker Carlson being Tucker Carlson. Well, yeah. Tucker, can I just say one quick thing? Because this is something that will serve you and your fellow um, hosts on Fox. Her name is pronounced comma like the punctuation mark la, Kamala. Okay? okay. Seriously, I've heard every sort of bastardization. Okay. So what? That. That's how it is, uh, Kamala. Okay. okay. Well, but that's, I think that's, it's out of respect uh, for somebody who's going to be on the national ticket. Pronouncing her name right is actually okay. not, it's kind of a So I'm disrespecting her by mispronouncing her name unintentionally. So it begins. You're not allowed to criticize Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris or whatever. Kamala. No, because no, no, no. Kamala, Kamala Harris. No, whatever. 
Okay, look, I okay, unintentionally mispronounced your name, question. but I love the idea that she's immune from criticism. So let me restate my question, let because me on this qu show, no, no. nobody in it. power is immune from criticism. Our political leaders must be held to account. That's our job. So in that clip, we see right-wing pundit Tuker Coralsan mispronounce her name. And the thing is, if you mispronounce someone's name once, it's a mistake. Whatever. If you're corrected on it, the correct thing to do there is to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was mispronouncing it, and then change it. So what Tuker is doing is he is deliberately mispronouncing her name in order to portray her as other. Because clearly Kamala is not a common white name. It's just not. But what Tuker is doing is by mispronouncing it, he's making it seem other it's exotic it's different and it's scary because oh no how are white people gonna trust her as the vp if they can't even pronounce her name now listen it's not hard to pronounce it's kamala it's really not that difficult um but if you notice the proof that it's deliberate is later on in that clip he says he mispronounces it twice again. He's like, oh, no, what? So I said, so if I'm mispronouncing Kamala's name or Kamala's name, like, it's not hard to pronounce something correctly. It's really not. It's Kamala. It's not difficult. And I also do love how Tuker says everyone on this show is open to criticism. The whole point of the show is to criticize everyone in the world. Well, literally 30 seconds later, he had a meltdown after being corrected on how to pronounce someone's name. There's something really crazy about Toker Cranston and the way that he runs his show. And it's like he's trying to speak to you like you're five years old. And I don't know if that's just like who he is or if that's who his character is that he plays, because I refuse to believe that Toker or anybody of this sort is actually this stupid. But it's fun to hear just the blatant just need to disassociate somebody from their, from their person. Um, because it just proves us all right. Whenever we say, you know, people like Toker Cranston are racist and horrible people. And we get pushback saying, Oh no, that's not true. But it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's right in front of you and it's in front of you time after time again. And maybe nobody does it more than Toker because he's a white guy and he gets away with it. Yeah, the thing that jumped out to me most about what the one who tucks son of Carl said was he acted like you weren't allowed to criticize her. There's a difference between criticizing and giving somebody the respect of at least trying to pronounce their name right. Like, I grew up with an unusual name for most people. My name is Natter. I've heard Nader, Nader, everything in the book. But I understand that people try. And that's enough for me. But when you literally just get told, by the way, one who talks, it's Kamala. And then you immediately just go and say, Kamala. I mean, it shows a genuine disregard and genuine disrespect. And I mean, I don't think any of us are surprised that the son of Carl has this kind of uh, hate, let's say, for a strong black woman strong indian american woman but like he doesn't even try and hide it anymore it's just astonishing to me how 
the media personalities on the right, especially Tupperware Marbleson, just do not give basic respect to the people who they're running against. If you watch CNN or MSNBC, they don't make a secret that they don't like President Trump, but you notice they always refer to him as President Trump. There's the respect there. While when Tupperware was corrected on how to pronounce Senator Harris's name, what was his response? It wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, or, oh, my bad, I mispronounced it. What is it again? It was, so what? He literally said, so what? And listen, here's so what. Here's the reason that this matters. Pronouncing someone's name right is just the most basic level of respect. And again, doing it on do, mispronouncing someone by accident isn't necessarily malicious. When it becomes malicious is when you mispronounce someone's name, like Tupperware did, and then you're corrected on it, and you not only refuse to correct yourself, but you yell, so what? And then mispronounce it twice more. That's when it's malicious. If we just vote, and we do our jobs, and we all work hard, and we all spend every single day talking to five people that we know who we didn't talk to the day before about why it's important to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, then nothing that telephone Swan Lake says matters. And so just to kind of close the conversation, this is the kind of just incredible bullshit that we run into on a day-to-day basis. And we see it a lot because we're always working on this. Our, our lives right now, we've dedicated a significant part of our lives to making sure Joe Biden's elected president. We. Yep. We literally see this every day and and whenever it kind of whenever it hits national news like this and whenever people like Toker Swanson are saying these things on television to try and dehumanize potentially the next vice president of the United States, this is whenever it gets into the mainstream. And even then, this is only going to hit a very small portion of the electorate. So as long as we're doing our job, talking to five people every day, making sure we're registering our families and our friends to vote and making sure that on election day we have a voting plan that includes taking somebody else with us, nothing Telephone Swan Lake says matters. God, when is David Cook's next fly fishing vacation? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So aside from having a name that occasionally gives right-wing pundits some difficulty, Kamala Harris has also built a name for herself. Um, She gained the most public attention after uh, the... Brett Kavanaugh and the William Barr hearings. And we have a brief clip uh, from the Barr hearing of Kamala making Barr look like an idiot. So let's watch that now. Senator Harris. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Attorney General Barr, has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh... Yes or no? Could you you repeat that question? I will repeat it. Has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no, please, sir. Um, The president or anybody else. Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to grapple with the word suggest. I mean, there have been discussions of of matters out there that... uh, they have not asked me to open an investigation, but... Perhaps they've suggested? I don't know. I wouldn't say suggest. Hinted? I, I don't know. Inferred? You don't know? 
Okay. So, somewhere in a sad private room in the White House, Mike Pence watched this video and started shaking uncontrollably. Imagine, imagine just for a moment when that woman who just eviscerated William Barr goes up on a stage or on Zoom or however they're going to do this debate, and Mike Pence is standing there and is blathering on about, oh, the president has done such a great job and I fully support him. And Kamala brings facts and information, (laughs) things that just have been so lacking over the last three and a half years. This vice presidential debate might be worse than the Sarah Palin one. And that is because Kamala Harris is going to do that again. I can't wait. I can't wait for October 3rd. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be so much fun to watch Mike Pence stand on stage with Kamala Harris without mother around. Of course. Mm -hmm. To have to explain why the best argument he can have for why Kamala Harris should not be elected vice president of the United States is that she is going to cut America's meat. Yeah, cut the meat. While Uh, she tears him to shreds. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, it's going to be so very fun to have a prosecutor look into this administration. Especially a prosecutor who has a history of investigating and prosecuting corruption, like she did uh, when she uh, when she went after Corinthian Colleges, the uh, disastrous for-profit uh, college company, who Betsy DeVos seems to be uh, running interference for. And uh, Kamala Harris also did a number on Betsy DeVos. Kamala Harris actually won a uh, $1.2 billion judgment from Corinthian Colleges to help the students that they defrauded. So yeah, it's going to be really fun. I, I can't wait to see who he nominates for Attorney General because... There, that's going to be a full-time job just looking into the Trump administration. I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be fun. Well, we are all, of course, very excited for Vice President Kamala Harris, but there are, there are other things to talk about, too. I think it's about time we took some listener questions. And as a reminder for all of you listening right now, you can email your questions to podcast at bidenwarroom.org. Or the War Room Twitter account will send a tweet, usually a day or so before we record, asking for questions in the replies. So either of those are ways for you to get your questions to us, and we'll answer some live on air. Now, Palmer from New Jersey asks, what is your plan to help families with special needs children? Joe Biden's childcare plan in general is really expansive, and it provides things for like... uh, provides for things like universal preschool for all three and four year olds uh, has a tax credit for childcare that is going to significantly lower the cost for families and the families that are most financially burdened won't have to pay anything uh, includes a tax credit for companies to build uh, childcare facilities in their offices, in their locations to help parents. And as for issues specifically dealing with children with autism and other developmental disorders, uh, Vice President Biden's plan, pretty sure, calls for full federal funding of special education, which in California alone would 
increase special education funding by about $2.66 billion annually. And that money can be used in so many ways to help kids with specific needs. But he's made childcare a significant part of his Build Back Better program. And I'm sure that while it does apply to, you know, children in general, it's going to be very beneficial for parents and caretakers of special needs children. Yeah, Biden's child care plan is really quite comprehensive and I think a very good step. Uh, he also has a disabilities plan that includes some sections about uh, children with disabilities. So first, he does promise to fully fund the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or the IDEA Act. Uh, which provides resources and support for infants, toddlers, preschoolers, and other children with disabilities. Um, He promises free, appropriate public education for students with disabilities and will will recruit uh, special education teachers, including uh, giving teachers the ability to earn a certification in special education without accumulating debt. Um, and by the way, these policies are all available at joebiden.com slash disabilities if you want to read more about them. I really think this is going to be a very important and a very high priority for uh, Joe Biden's administration because it's personal for him. I mean, we all know about the tragedy that his he went through losing his wife and his daughter. and. Also, his two sons, Bo and Hunter, were severely injured in that accident. And so he's talked at length about his experience, you know, trying to help his kids while working in the Senate as a first time senator and about the support system that he had. So you can definitely tell that he is committed to helping families with kids who might be disabled or injured or something like that. It's personal for him. Absolutely. Um, Other questions? Last week, we did a segment about uh, the United States Postal Service and Trump's efforts to attack it to prevent mail-in voting. Uh, It seems that we got a lot of questions about that. Julie asks, what can we do as an average American citizen to stop the destruction of our postal service? Uh, While Constance from California asks, what do I do now to help our local post office? We also got a question uh, via Twitter from at TJ Undertaker, who asks, how are we going to circumvent Trump's attack on the post office? So you guys are going to get sick of me saying this. And I'm going to say it again and again and again. You want to save the post office? You are like Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. Mm-hmm. You so- want to save the post office? You talk to your five friends every single day that you didn't speak to the day before and make sure they're aware there's an election on November 3rd that they're registered to vote and that they have the ability to vote in person if they need to. The biggest, biggest thing right now is the underlying movement by the postmaster general who the reports are coming out now is moving mail sorting machines out of major distribution centers that count ballots to try and ensure that on November third if we proceed with mail-in voting that it's a slow and tedious process to get the ballots counted that way the trump administration can challenge those ballots in court and have them tossed i know covid's scary but for people our age 
it's important to keep in mind that we're going to have to step up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is making sure that you're taking an elderly person's place as a poll worker on November 3rd, if you're healthy and capable, whether it's making sure that you're, ma- you're getting your family's ballots together and physically putting them in the mailbox or taking them to an absentee box, or whether it's making sure that your family's postage is paid for because maybe you have an uncle or an aunt or a, or a grandparent or a parent who's out of work right now. And it might seem ridiculous to you or I who have a job, but 55 cents for a postage stamps, a lot of money. So go buy a book of stamps and make sure your friends and your family have stamps for their ballots. Make sure that you're helping them verify and making their signatures perfectly as they are on their licenses. There's a lot we can do to save the Postal Service, but none of it matters if we do not vote. Really yeah. do in certain states. Yeah, I know some specific things uh, to help the post office right now. Uh, these are more directed towards funding, which, you know, isn't necessarily the issue. The ob- issue is the obstruction. But I saw somewhere and I'm not 100 percent sure it's true. But apparently when you get junk mail that has a prepaid return envelope, you can then fill that envelope with more junk and send it back to them. And the post office is going to get paid off of that. Uh, other than that, like the post office, they do more than just ship stuff and deliver. You can buy stationery from them. They sell packaging supplies. So if you're moving or anything, you can buy boxes and other equipment from them. But as far as the legal issues and the obstruction going on with the post office right now, one thing I think would be really important is if you're financially able to, Donate to some of these organizations. I'm sure groups like the NAACP and the ACLU are going to be filing legal, uh, are going to be filing lawsuits to try and stop this obstruction because it is specifically designed to disenfranchise people and prevent them from voting. So I think if we can support those organizations, and I'll be more than happy to do some research and get uh, get some links out there to who you can donate to, but legal challenges are going to be really important to trying to preserve our right to vote by mail for, you know, people who, like we mentioned, us younger people, we can maybe afford to take that risk of going to vote in person. But for elderly people and those who are immunocompromised, those who are at high risk, it is important to preserve every single method to vote possible. So there are two different ways or categories of ways, really, that I would say to help the post office. And the first is just go to the post office and buy a book of stamps, buy some envelopes, buy some stationery, whatever. Uh, They depend on stuff like that for money. And if you are, you know, financially able, uh, that purchase really does go a long way. The second way is political, where we have to realize that Donald Trump and the Trump administration do not support the post office. They believe that the post office should be making a profit, or rather that's the excuse that they use uh, when they're trying to defund and privatize the post office. So the way to solve this problem long term is to call your senator, call your representative, Ask them to pass the Heroes Act, uh, which funds the police, the sorry, which funds the post office, and again, most importantly, go vote. 
obviously vote by mail if you can. If for whatever reason you can't and you are able and willing to vote in person and do it as safely as possible, of course, wear a mask, wear gloves, do all of the safety stuff that you're supposed to do. But voting right now is the only way to protect the Postal Service in the long term. Because four more years of Donald Trump and the Trump administration, and we're going to be having this exact same conversation in four years, except that the post office just won't be a thing anymore. So get out there, go vote. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to address one of the specific issues relating to funding with the post office. Uh, a lot of the Republicans love to talk about, oh, and Donald Trump himself, oh, it doesn't turn a profit. It's not, you know, financially feasible. Thing is, the post office actually did turn a profit between 2003 and 2006 of a profit of about $9.3 billion. But then the Republicans in Congress passed the Postal Accountability Enhancement Act, which basically required the post office to pre-fund health and retirement benefits by 75 years in advance. Without that law, they would have actually turned a profit before the pandemic. And they're the only government agency that has to do that. Now, could that have something to do with the fact that Republicans want to destroy and privatize it? Or in this moment, because uh, Trump's crony postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, has anywhere between 30 and $75 million invested in competitors to the Postal Service? Sure. Uh, I find it ridiculous that, you know, Trump can pass a trillion dollar tax cut to help the rich provide billions of dollars in relief to huge companies. But when it comes to the post office and uh, the unemployment benefits that, you know, have now been slashed that are needed because of his mishandling of the pandemic, he turns into Margaret Thatcher on steroids with the most bonkers austerity measures. Um, just to close this out, let me tell you guys a secret. If you uh, pick up your phone and dial this phone number, 202-224-3121, and you know the name of your congressperson, and you call them, and you yell at them, they might listen. Give it a try. Oh, yeah. Another thing you can do next time you call your grandparents, ask them if they got the card you sent them, even if you didn't send a card, because you can bet they're going to be in their con member of Congress's ear yelling about saving the post office because they didn't get their card from their grandkid. Uh, well, we're running out of time for listener questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. And I'm sorry if we didn't wind up getting to yours. Um, Again, if you are listening and you have a question you want us to answer on air next week, email us at podcast at bidenwarroom.org, and you never know, we might answer yours. So now it's time for our final segment, which we like to call Liberal Tears, where the three of us each get one minute to rant about whatever. No interruptions, no rules, no nothing. So, uh... Justin, do you want to start us off? All right, let me set the scene for you. It's December of 2020. The election's over. Joe Biden's president. And you're sitting in your living room, a sad fucking mess, because college football has been canceled. If you're like me, and you're from the South and went to a Southeastern Conference school, college football is a very important part of your fall and your winter. Thanks to Donald Trump, who is unable to put together a national testing plan or any semblance of a fucking plan to divert this virus down to a minuscule level, 
It's not happening for us this year. Uh, Greg Sankey in the Southeastern Conference is doing what he can, but it's, it's not happening. And it's upsetting to me because when this is all said and done, I need to watch somebody else beat the hell out of somebody else because I've spent the last year and a half of my life getting the hell beaten out of me by Republicans while I try and make sure Joe Biden's the next president. So Donald, fuck you. You ruined college football for me this year. I, I have nothing else to say. All right, perfect timing. Uh, Natter, you ready? Yep, I'm, uh, I'm ready to get going. Now, for my liberal tears, I kind of want to revisit what I talked about last week. Uh, I talked about some of the racist tricks that Republican senators were using against their opponents. And now with Kamala Harris selected as the vice presidential nominee, we've already seen Trump go full misogynist. Uh, his new campaign playbook is going to attack Kamala for being ambitious. Because apparently he thinks that's a bad thing for a woman to be. You see, in America, ambition is something you praise. And it's something you take pride in. We aren't all born into immense wealth and had everything we wanted handed to us on a silver platter. Some of us have to work to get to where we are and where we want to be. It's ambition that lifts a woman of color from the heights of the civil rights movement to where she is now about to be the next vice president of the United States. So yeah, you're goddamn right she's ambitious, and that's why she's going to make a terrific vice president. Now, we're also seeing racist attacks on her, some saying that she's not black enough, and this is just a start. We've got some 82 days until election day, and there's going to be a lot more smears coming at her. We here at the Biden War Room have her back, and we hope you do too. All right, and finally, it is my turn. So today my rant is going to be about people who are upset because their preferred vice president wasn't chosen. All right, maybe you are a fan of Susan Rice or Val Demings or Elizabeth Warren or Gretchen Whitmer or Tammy Duckworth or any of the many immensely talented women who were rumored to be in contention. And if that's true, and if your first pick wasn't Kamala, then I am sorry. But my sympathy runs out when I start to see people, and I have seen people like this from text banking, I see people saying, oh no, my pick wasn't chosen, so I don't know if I can vote for Joe. Yeah, guess what? You can, and you should, because if you are the type of person who likes Whitmer or Duckworth or Bass or Demings or whatever, who do you think they want you to vote for? Um, Karen Bass had a tweet right after the news where she was like, go vote for Joe and vote for Kamala. So... To paraphrase that, go vote for Joe. I don't care who your first choice was. As long as it's not Mike Pence, then vote for Joe and Kamala. And that's my time. Thank you so much to all of you out there for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. You've been listening to Riding with Biden, presented by the Biden War Room. My name is Brian Weinberger. I'm Justin Gillespie. And I'm Nada Hussein at Nada Hussein 10 on Twitter. We'll see you all next week. We're not going to let Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cut America's meat.